Essentials, Andrew. What does that phrase mean to you? Essentials. Well, instead of movies that were just made in the 90s that young people like, I'm thinking of Gen X Essentials as something that were made in the 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm. but that are contemporary to the age of the children, young youth people, teenagers, as they were made. So it goes back to Better Off Dead, our first essay about the Gen X Essentials. That's perfect. That really summarizes a lot of our humor. Mm-hmm. Read the article. It's really good. But like contemporary to the kids that happen. So there's other movies we may not cover or we may cover. Like Bill and Ted is a Gen X movie. And I think it's a Gen X essential, at least the first two. And I don't reckon we're going to cover them. But The Outsiders came out in the 80s as well. Though it's a period piece, I actually think it is maybe a Gen X essential because of the themes and stuff that they talk about. So it all depends. Um, Rusty James, uh, the Rumble Fit, right. that as well. Right. So when we say Gen X essentials, when we're talking about film, we do not mean anything that was made in the 1990s. Like A Hunt for Red October is not a Gen X essential. <laughs> These are the films that shaped us as a generation as far as our cultural tastes and um, sensibilities, our attitudes, you know, and it can be 80s. It can be 90s. I mean, Gen X is like a huge range of age groups, you know, like it's about 20 years. Yeah. You know, The Breakfast Club is in the 80s. It's a perfect Gen X essential movie. Mm -hmm. And then we have House Party in the (laughs) 90s. House Party. Yeah, that's a that's a good example, too. And then we have, you know, the films of Gregor that are the weirdo, like, surrealist version of Gen X Essential. How everybody feels inside, regardless of if they're a jock, Uh tweaker, a nerd, a geek. The high school lunch scene in every movie where they get pointed Uh out. Regardless of that, everybody feels like an outsider and a weirdo inside. Mm -hmm. And Greg Araki's movies completely tap into that, except they are actually about the outsiders Mm -hmm. and the weirdos, Mm -hmm. not just the feelings of everybody. These are about very specific people. Uh So what is a Gen X sensibility? The way that we define ourselves, uh, Gen X is a a generation that is very unique and it's all because we grew up in the time before helicopter parenting. We grew up in this time where we were self-reliant, DIY. We figured things out. We were on our own. The mainstream media (laughs) parlance was latchkey kid. Yeah. So which made us, I think in general, it gave us a lot of flexibility and and practicality, um, like I said, self-reliance. I, I'm not so sure about that because uh, we're also massive slackers. <laughs> well, see, that's the other thing. There's the slacker, the I don't care. There's the skepticism. Like skepticism Cynic- is cynicism. such a huge deal. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have this idea about Gen X right now where they think that we're just mean. You know, it's not that. It's just that we don't care. Why bother having this argument? Whatever. Or- Whatever. <laughs> LB. Uh, that's it's, it's anything goes. It's it's a roll with it. It's Mentos. No, no, Mentos that's the po- mentality. No, look, there's a positive and there's a negative to Gen X. And you're uh-huh. speaking kind of with rose-colored glasses in, in the most positive sense. I grew <laughs> up as the dead center Gen X, and it wasn't great. The tastemaker, like Greg Araki, and he is a tastemaker as far as mm-hmm. music goes for me, mm-hmm. the music that he chose in his movies, they coincide with the stuff that I currently listen to even. And I listened to it back then, too. 
And I was like, yes, I agree with your music taste. Uh-huh. That wasn't mainstream. The mainstream of Gen X was kind of rather annoying. And the, <laughs> the caricature of Gen X slacker guy, uh, the grunge period, mm-hmm. the bum around, which are some of our favorite movies, the bum around movies, but like, that's not what we're talking about. But I, I mean, there's positive and negative. It's a myriad of types of Gen X. Like I said, mm-hmm. House Party is a Gen X movie. Yeah. And I yeah, think it's yeah. a Gen X essential, but I don't think that a Gen X essential is, can't hardly wait, but people will kill me for saying that. Because <laughs> it's too mainstream. It's too popular. Yeah, it's TRL. Yeah, TRL. Sure. Which is sure. the worst the, of Gen X. It's, it's the Blink-182 of Gen X movies. Yeah, it's not Jimmy Eat World or anything, <laughs> you know? What I think is cool about our generation is that self-reliance is also mixed with like a lot of distrust of authority. I, and I think that came from, we experienced a lot of uncertainty in our times. We had the Cold War. We had uh-huh. economic collapse. We mm-hmm. had our government dealing arms. Right. We had all this kind of thing. And then we had satanic panic all throughout. Right. And so we were very skeptical and cynical about everything. Well, then we saw the, the rise of greed is good and everything. Mm-hmm. And we don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all sorts of world events that were like totally in flux. You know, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Well, the fall was a good thing. And the Challenger was a sad thing. That was a, yeah. a collective sadness that we had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Rodney King. Yeah. We experienced a lot of these things and we had to like deal with them in uh, our own ways. But I think the X-Files is like a huge influence on uh, Gen X distrust of authority. Gen attitude. X paranoia. Yeah. It was older guys who went to NAM who were actually the, the folks who were really skeptical and suspicious of the government for good reasons. But mm-hmm. when Chris Carter tapped into that and started pulling from the FBI files and stuff. Yeah, he, he exacerbated a bunch of Gen Xers uh, <laughs> already suspicious minds mm-hmm. to uh, embrace a lot more of the paranoia. Right. I went to church with people who were like, it's Sunday night. We gotta wrap this up. Gotta watch some X-Files and get our <laughs> we, paranoia we, on. We have to go to our real church. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all these things, Gen X kind of gets a bad rap and uh, part of the reason why we wanted to, you know, highlight these Gen X essentials is to give ourselves a chance to like look back and pick out some of these things that are, that are so noteworthy that may have been forgotten or may be completely like timeless and well known and everyone gravitates towards but to really just share these things with, with everybody everybody being those who were there and want to trip down memory lane or those who are like these young whippersnappers who don't really have an extensive film vocabulary and this might have slipped them by, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't really hear too much about SLC Punk, for instance, or the films of Greg Araki yet. But now in Alamo and all these film houses that are apparently the biggest distribution of this movie ever has happened. And uh, we're going to miss it, dang it. Anyway. So now we are presenting to you the second in a series that Justin Harlan has put together. multi-format series. Uh, Justin wrote in introduction to Greg Araki's work in the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy. If you go to our website, grumpfire.com, it's kind of a, I guess, a a diary entry style introduction with focus on the movie Totally Fucked Up. And now we have the privilege to present to you the second piece is Justin's interview with Greg Araki about the restored re-release of The Doom Generation. Which, as I said, is in theaters very soon and now-ish as 
this is going to drop, not when you hear this three years from now. <laughs> but hopefully it'll be available on Blu-ray by then, or streaming. Yeah, I really hope so. On to Justin. Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition of the Grumpire Podcast. My name is Justin Harlan. I have been a guest here before, and I've been a writer for this website for a while, but this is the first time that I'm doing an intro to a podcast on this particular website. You might know me from my website, The Farsighted, which is farsightedblog.com, and my numerous current and previous podcasts over there. Right now, you could hear me on Curtain Jerkers, which is about wrestlers in film, or you could hear me on Cage Match, which is a Nick Cage podcast, in which I vehemently support and love Nick Cage while my co-host not exactly on the same wavelength. But today I'm here just to briefly introduce my interview with seminal Gen X director, filmmaker Greg Araki about the second film in the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy, The Doom Generation, probably the one most people know and identify with. For me, it certainly is the one I most know and identify with. As I talk with Greg, I find this to be a film that was really a landmark film for me in a lot of ways. While maybe not my favorite film looking back overall. It's certainly one that's extremely influential, top five as far as influential films in my life, in that I think it has a lot to do with the aesthetics that I fell for in independent film and genre film. I think it has a lot to do with even, you know, the type of horror with I gravitate towards, which is kind of my favorite genre. Even though this is not a horror film, uh, certainly the finale of this film has uh, a very horrific feel to it. Also, uh, just in my views on life, on sexuality, I think for someone growing up in the church to watch a film called a heterosexual movie that is decidedly very fluid in its sexuality. Uh, something that Iraqi is very clearly into in his films in general, as well as this whole trilogy, as we discussed in the first installment of the trilogy. It's definitely something that's pretty common in his work. I could just go on and on about how this film influenced me, but I think it's important to also highlight for anyone who's not familiar with the film is that this is only James Duvall's second film. It's his second with Iraqi, but also his second film. It's actually Rose McGowan's first feature, I believe Greg says in this interview. And Jonathan, who plays X in this film, is also a huge name star. So there's like three big names here that are all in decidedly different worlds, you know, with James being kind of an indie genre film demagogue for me, in my opinion. I mean, the guy's been in so many great things and some of it commercially successful, a lot of it underground. Rose McGowan, obviously iconic name that uh, anybody in the Gen X world uh, and especially older millennials as well really know her. So there's just a lot of people in this film. You'll see a lot of cameos if you haven't seen it before. And I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it uh, to try to see if it's playing in a theater near you because the new version of the film is extremely great looking and great sounding. And I'm just really excited that I had the chance to talk to, to Greg. So without much more further ado, I do want to present to you my discussion with Greg Araki on The Doom Generation, a heterosexual movie by Greg Araki. I feel really weird tonight. Like something's gonna happen. Me too. What's your name anyway? Xavier. Is it cool if I just call you X? There's something evil about him. That'll be 666. Pick up, girlie. What are you gonna do? Shoot us? Scram! Ask you to do any big favors, huh? Well, pardon me for rescuing your ingrained ass. The suspects appear to be heading north. I hope we die simultaneously. Like a nuclear bomb blast or something. You're so romantic. You're uh, giving me an erection. Six, six, six. Have either of you ever had sex with an owl? Just you. 
should be considered armed and dangerous. It scares me, Jordan. Have you ever done that? Like, sex with two people at the same time? Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is our first in our Gen X Essentials. It's our first ones we're going to be doing all three of your Teenage Apocalypse trilogy. And so I jumped at the chance to get to talk to you. And Doom Generation of the three films is the one that introduced me to you. (laughs) That's an introduction. Yeah, well, it's an introduction to um, indie film, kind of, for me, too, because I was only, like, 13. So, so it's pretty intense to see at 13, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I, I might have been four, I, I might have been 14. The movie came out when I was 13. I didn't quite see I saw it not too long after the home video release. So I tried to rent it, because I had I had read something about it, and they wouldn't rent it to me. Big surprise. Okay. Well, what part, where were you? What was that? Where were you? What part of the country were you in? So I grew up in northern New Jersey. New Jersey, okay. Yep, so in New York City area, the suburbs. I've, I've heard stories about when you were trying to rent Doom Generation, it was literally behind the counter in like a brown paper bag. <laughs> like, like, you couldn't just grab it off the shelf. It had to like, it was like hidden. So, um, yeah. What's funny is they wouldn't rent it to me, but a video store did sell it to me. Uh, it's like, cool. So, oh, so I bought a copy, but then I'm also a pastor's kid, oh, oh, heavily immersed okay. in church. And I was very concerned after watching it, even though I really appreciate, like, I didn't appreciate it like I do now, but I really liked it. And I, I was really like, I don't know, I was enthralled by the film, but I threw out my copy because I was afraid someone would find it. <laughs> so that's my story of Doom Generation. And here we, and here we are today, you know, <laughs> 28 years later. Exactly. So let's let's start with the... I guess the whole kind of trilogy, how did these movies kind of come to be? Well, the way, the way the trilogy came about was we made Totally Fucked Up. Uh, totally Fucked Up was something that it was just a, it was very inspired by, by Godard's Masculine Feminine. And I was kind of thinking a lot about LGBT kids or teenagers at that time and what they were going through in the sort of, it was a very kind of homophobic culture we were living in. Yeah. Not unlike what is going on today. So just out of sort of empathy for them, I wanted to make a, a film about sort of young gay kids living in the city and sort of modeled after the Skadard movie. And so from that experience, you know, we cast young people, most of whom were actually straight and but you know, obviously very open minded. And that's where I met Jimmy. And then Jimmy was just this sort of aspiring model actor, like kids sort of floating around the city. And after the experience of making Totally Fucked Up, the cast was all like 19 or 18. 19. I was going to say, they looked quite young, yeah. Yeah, they were all like young. And so the experience of working on that movie sort of, it really kind of inspired me further to sort of explore what it was like to be young and sort of, you know, in the world that we were living in at that time and and so from there i sort of wrote doom and nowhere as okay. you know for jimmy as he his sort of not his character but his persona sort of continues through the three movies so from there i wrote doom generation and nowhere after totally fucked up and it just sort of became a trilogy i don't know exactly yeah. why. well and, and, I, and i get like it, you know for anybody who hasn't seen them it's not a trilogy in that they're one story but it's a trilogy and they're all kind of have some of the similar themes they all have jimmy 
<laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know. yeah they, they all kind of revolve around Jimmy's character, and mm-hmm. uh, he plays a different character in each one. But there's definitely a sort of spiritual link between. Right. Them. Yeah, definitely, and like, like, like the alienation and like his whole vibe, and honestly. The vibe that Jimmy has in those three movies and, and your movies as a whole, I feel is such a quintessential, like, this is why it jumped to me as, like, when we were doing this Gen X Essentials, like, to me, like, that's that's the Gen X character. That's the Gen X for me, uh-huh. like, <laughs> that I gravitate towards. Because I'm a, just to put perspective, I told you I saw I saw Doom Generation when I was, you know, 13, 14. So I'm like a cusper, like they call, or, or exennial. Like, I'm, I'm uh-huh. technically, like, late Gen X, early millennial. I don't know. It depends on what year they define it because I was born in 81 so like most of the time they call that Gen X but it's very late Gen X so like for me like I definitely have tendencies personally on like both of the two generations but like the type of Gen Xer that like I gravitated towards were like your Gen Xers not necessarily like the Reality Bites Gen Xers if that makes any sense you know what I mean Um, my movies have always been kind of about like the outsiders you know the people the weirdos and the outsiders and the queers and the punks and yeah I mean like the people that are sort of don't fit in just kind of mainstream society. I mean, it's yeah. something that, you know, just personally in my life, I've always, it's just sort of who I am and kind of where I came from. And so it's sort of my voice. And I feel so like lucky and fortunate that that was the world I grew up in. You know, I mean, it's it's like I'm of the age that, you know, punk rock music and new wave music and just alternative culture as a whole was just exploding right when I was in college and sort of at my most sort of formative, my formative years, you know, and it really had such a profound impact on my worldview and my view of art and what I wanted to do creatively, you know, it's just like all of these bands and all this music that was happening at the time, it was just very much march your own drummer and do your own thing. And, you know, it's not important to be like mainstream and have like huge commercial success. And, you know, it's, it's not really about, you know, being like a top 40 and selling like millions and millions of records. It's really just about like finding your voice and being unique and doing your thing, you know? And, and I think that's something that has you know, it stuck with me for sure for all these years. I think natural transition, because you're talking about music, music seems to be really key into your, in your films, especially in, in like this trilogy, you know, and to a large extent, I feel like you with kind of the outsider art side of it and some of those other films, like, you know, the Reality Bites single side as well. Uh-huh. You guys are kind of like, served a little bit as tastemakers of your of the generation as far uh-huh. as like the music you put in the films became so synonymous with Gen X. Uh-huh. Music for me, especially, it's such a I mean, it's really been part of my life for as long as I can remember. You know, I mean, from the time that I was in junior high and high school, I was always really into music. And, you know, I like listen to music every day, like all day long from the time I went up to the, to the time I go to bed. And, it's, you know, it's it's really something that is like without music, be such a huge void in my life, you know. And I think that the spirit of, you know, alternative music, it's very much a part of kind of, you know, my sort of world. World, and it's always been that way. So that's why in the films, and that's why I'm so excited about the remasters is because I've had a chance to go back and the Doom Generation has such an amazing soundtrack and some of it is really hard to hear. And it's like, we like fixed all that. So now when you see it in a theater, which is hopefully the way people will see it, it's really rocking. Like it's like a rock and rock. <laughs> and the music really plays and it really sort of takes you away. You know, it's just from the from the very first scene 
scene when the nice nails hits it just kind of you know it's fun it's a fun ride so definitely i just got done writing about totally fucked up and you know like the soundtrack there you know a lot of shoegazy stuff and like some of that uh the ministry song and the my life with the thrill kill cold song that's on there like i'm a punk myself yeah i, I so i grew up in the kind of a the next era of punk rock that 90s punk rock scene um wow. you know i put on concerts from the time i was 14 actually around the same time i saw this so oh, you know cool. so music is a big thing for me too it's what got me into writing it's what got me into doing all the other stuff that eventually led me to writing a film and all that but point of the story right is uh oh. I, I i got a chance to watch the restoration but unfortunately just as a screener because i it's not coming out of theaters not it's yet just big theater like, i can't like, wait uh-huh. i can't wait i gotta come to philly i need it to come to philly so <laughs> no, we're, yeah they have a, i just posted a thing on um i don't have a personal facebook page but i have a facebook page for desperate pictures which is my company so whenever um i have a new film coming out or tv show or whatever i'll, I'll post about it. i just posted the strand link of all the cities it's playing in and it's playing in a ton of places like awesome. i was so surprised i think more cities than it played in when it first came out in 1995 i mean like, probably i'd imagine it's got it'd be, it's definitely a film that's got a, a real like cult kind of following too yeah, like you know sure. so i definitely i definitely think that makes sense yeah i don't know about philly but it's playing they keep adding more cities so well i'll be uh, i'll be checking that link as soon as we get off today uh that, that means that, that's great um but yeah, yeah I, a, I, I, you, what you pointed out with the soundtrack right i can e- even just listening to it at home it's uh-huh. already distinctly different from the copy i have to the new yeah, restoration i can hear the music so much better yeah it should and also the dialogue we actually did some adr for dialogue for lines that were hard to hear like there's just in, ge- I'm, in general you know in the past whatever 28 years i'm like a better technically a much better filmmaker than i was in 1994 so there's stuff i did to the music and the sound and then i didn't touch the editing i didn't touch anything like that but it's just as i approached it a little bit as if i was making it today like i just like make it's mixed differently it's you know it just looks a bit different and i'm really excited about it it's almost like a brand new movie but it's still definitely the same the same doom generation that that people know and love but and i i really am thrilled at the idea that this will now be the copy that is like the historical one that then that this will sort of supplant the old versions because the old versions you know the the dvd in the u.s was like not even letterboxed it was just like a pan and scan and a t- it's like a, not a good copy and it the colors don't look right and you know the mix isn't great and there's just stuff i don't you know i don't really approve of <laughs> so the idea that there's a that there's this new version is yeah. um super exciting to me that's awesome just like i said I, I only got a chance to watch it at home so far and but but even at home on uh you know a decent size tv i think i want my 55 inch you know oh, uh, so it's got it's got a little bit of, but uh-huh. that said like it looks so good it sounds great and it's really exciting because i've watched this movie dozens of times in my life and uh it definitely the best version of it i've i've seen or heard so that's awesome yeah it's cool too the idea that it's in theaters because it's a fun movie to watch with an audience <laughs> It's like when we had our Sundance screen in January, it was really uh, intense and, and crazy. And it was weird, though, because I had, you know, I asked the audience before it started, I said, how many people in this in this room have never seen the movie before? And about 80% of the audience was brand new. I thought it would be a lot of like old timers like us that like were just revisiting the movie. But there's a real curiosity about the movie amongst this sort of younger audience that missed Doom Generation the first time around. So it was a really exciting screening. It was really, it's really fun to watch it with a dark theater with, a, with an audience. That's awesome. Hey, well, you, you talked about uh, how, you know, a whole new audience today is getting to, to see it. When I, I reached out to like my team uh, of brother writers on Grumpire for ideas of things they, they'd want me to 
ask you since everybody wants to talk to you. And one of the things that somebody said is, um, if you were to be making this film again today, you know, if it was a new film, oh. is there anyone that you have in mind? Of course, nobody can be Rose or, or James, but <laughs> it, it, is there anybody that you would cast, you know, that you think of like younger modern actors that, that you think could really encapsulate these roles in like today's world? Uh, that's, that's a funny question. I mean, yeah, I think so. <laughs> There's a lot of like I still keep track of all the right. actors and you know for for current things. Yeah, one thing I think is that yeah I won't say too much, but yeah I know there's definitely I can't think of people off the top of my head. That's just, fair. I, I did just spring it on you. That's fair. There's just <laughs> actors that I like, and I, one thing I think that would be fun would be for it to be a. I mean, you know, Jimmy is part Asian and it was kind of, you know, he was sort of this, people think he's me because he's Asian, but, <laughs> but he's not. It's like not, it's not, if anything, I'm much more like the Amy Blue character than the Jordan character who's so it's sweet and innocent. But um, it would be fun to like, like mix it up a little more like mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To have sure. like a black Amy. You know what I mean? It's just like it just because I do think that it's, you know, in the 90s, it was a more definitely um, homogeneous kind of casting yeah. than it is today. So that's that's super cool and exciting. I mean, it's interesting because uh, we already talked a little about James. And obviously, these are really early in his career, these movies. Uh, uh, you know, like the they're beginning his, of his career. Literally the beginning of his career. They're his first movie. I mean, I mean, he had never. Was totally <laughs> fucked up his first movie ever. Yeah. We we literally, I met him at a, he used to go to the coffee shop I used to hang out at. I used to um, write at this coffee shop on Melrose and he was there. And I just remember when I was casting the movie, I was talking to Andrew Sperling, the producer. And well, there's this kid that hangs out at the coffee shop. I think he's like, because I remember one time he was showing like a contact sheet of like photos of himself to his friends. And so I'm like, I think he's some sort of actor or model or something. We should see if, you know, he'd be interested in coming in to read for the movie. And so I gave him a script, not knowing if he was gay or straight or anything <laughs> just sort of said i'm a filmmaker and i made my two first movies already and so it was like i wasn't like some sleazy weird guy <laughs> like sure. i actually had movies that were reviewed in the la times and stuff so i was a legit indie filmmaker and i just said i'm doing a new movie and this is the script for it and you know if you're interested to audition for it you know let me know and gave him my card and stuff and yeah it was his first thing so he'd never really done anything before so it's really his introduction to acting in general and, and this is pretty early in Rose's career too, right? Rose McGowan. Uh, her first movie as well. I wow. mean, she she'd been like an extra in um Encino Man or something. But oh, right, she she has a very weird background. Like I don't even think it's a credited role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like literally, like she has like no. She had not really acted before, and Jonathan had done a few things, including that Zeffirelli movie. But yeah, the casting was a real process of dis discovery for uh, for everybody. It's crazy because all three of them went on to have very successful careers. You know, I mean, after this, you know, a different, much different routes, obviously, you know, uh, Jimmy's kind of to this day to me, like an, a, a king of the indie world. I love his movies. I love his weird direct to video movies and his bigger movies all, you know, and, and then Rose's, you know, she was engaged to Marilyn Manson or whatever, you know, I mean, so, so she's, she's a huge name, you know, out there. And then uh, Jonathan's been big all over TV and, and movies. Yeah. Jonathan was actually yeah. at, at Sundance with us. So oh, was, cool. Yeah, it was fun. We had a little reunion 
know, it's cool. That's fun. That's really fun. He's doing great. It's great to see him. I feel like you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of young actors who went on to really do a lot after you worked with them. I'm sure I already know this from reading interviews and seeing interviews. You're pretty humble, but I feel like you helped launch some people's careers. And uh, that's got to feel pretty cool. No, definitely. I mean, I love actors. I love discovering people. And it's really, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, actors, the hats off to them. It's just like, it's not an easy job. <laughs> it's like, it's hard to be looked at all the time, but, and it's hard to, you know, it's just a tough business. A lot of rejection and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of, you know, crazy shit going on. But, but yeah, I love working with actors and I love finding new people. I mean, that was one of the cool things about, you know, Doom Generation because it's so early and it was like kind of, you know, low budget indie is that it wasn't like, oh, you need this name person and that name person. You know what I mean? It was just like discover the right people, you know, discovered like I had very specific images in my head of what Amy Blue looked like and what she sounded like and what X sounded like. I mean, I knew already that Jimmy was going to be Jordan, but I just had a very specific notion of what the cast was going to be like. And it was just, you know, we read just like a million people, you know, including some people that went on to be like really famous <laughs> that didn't get in Doom Generation. And and so it was, yeah, it's just casting is always a big, exciting discovery process. And when you meet people in the casting process, do you ever think about them later and bring them back for other projects? Because you're like, oh, I remember so-and-so. I just, you know. No, I mean, I definitely, you know, it's just like, there's been people that, I mean, I, when I did my star show now, Apocalypse, in a few years ago, Jonathan's in it, Jimmy's in it. Like, yeah, I, I love, I mean, that's the, you know, like Preston Sturgis, that's how he's, he just had this sort of company of actors that he worked with. And I love the idea of bringing back people and familiar faces. And, you know, one thing in, you know, Doom Generation is like, there's all these like kind of strange appearances by like Heidi Flies and Perry Farrell and, you know, Julie from The Love Boat and Peter Brady. And, you know, it wasn't to me meant to be like cheesy cameo so much as it's supposed to be like this surreal world where, yeah. you know, when you're dreaming, people will pop up into your dreams that are just in your consciousness. You know what I mean? Like the idea that you're in this sort of strange place that all the suddenly Lindsay Lohan walks by. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. It's because that's kind of the way the world of the movies works. So it's something that I wanted to do. And that's why it's fun, you know, now that I'm older and I've done a bunch of movies, you know, just to have people come back, you know, from in the past. So that's awesome. I was just curious, but one of the other things that, you know, you, we, we talked a little bit about, you met Jimmy for your first, for the first movie here, you know, for Totally Fucked Up. And then you ended up kind of writing the next movies with him in mind. Uh -huh. um, what were some of the, besides Jimmy in mind, what were some of the other inspirations? I believe I read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the central characters here are loosely based on co comic book characters? Uh, not comic book characters in Los Angeles. I mean, this is the thing about that period in the 90s is that I would keep like a lot of journals and just notebooks and everything in the Doom Generation, Totally Fucked Up, Living In, all those movies. It's all very much, they were almost like a diary for me. They were very like stuff I was reading, stuff I was heard about. The end scene of Doom Generation is something that actually happened in my hometown. And wow. it's like, I always had like, thought I'm going to put that in a movie one day. Like it was just like, like so many 
stories and images and things that were in my world would end up in the movies. And the names Amy and Jordan are from a comic strip that I think it ran in the LA Reader or something that I haven't seen the comic strip since the 90s, but it was just this real kind of weird, super kind of Lynchian punk rock kind of comic that was just very like odd sense of humor. And it was just a sort of homage to that, you know, okay. yeah, an homage to this comic strip I used to read. And um, like Xavier character is named after like a dead can dance song. And there's okay. always just things that would be in the movies that would be something that yeah. <laughs> was somehow in my world, you know? Yeah, that, well, that makes a lot of sense. I, what, what are some of the other things that were inspirational to the, the story? I mean, you said you really just kind of had a variety of ideas jotted down and things you experienced. But you know, it's funny, one of the things that before I, I, I let you answer that, one of the things that your film did with Doom Generation did for me is actually introduced me of all things to Ricky O. And the reason is somebody equated the head getting chopped off in the beginning to something crazy. Oh, it's like something you'd see in Ricky O. Like, what is Ricky O? And then uh-huh. I go, I, I go explore weird, completely unrelated genres, you know, of film because of it. So I was just curious, what were some of the things that inspired you? Well, one of the things was I wanted to make a sort of outlaw couple on the run movie. And so that that's a genre that I studied a lot in film school. And I, you know, I was very interested in making a film like that. The other thing was that I wanted to make this very kind of transgressive and subversive movie in the sense I remember telling the producer like I want the movie to be like Last Tango in Paris for teenagers like I wanted to be like this X-rated crazy movie that like people were like you know like so kind of outraged by and super provocative and you know so there were those sort of inspirations and then the other thing about the movie was that one of the early producers had told me that you know you make these gay movies that are too punk rock for gay people and gay people don't hate them you know what I mean like when The Living End came out, it was a very polarizing movie in, in the gay community because there were people who loved it, but a lot of sort of more mainstream gays that were just horrified by, <laughs> by The Living End. So he said, if you ever make a heterosexual movie, I'll produce it and get you some money for it. And I said, okay. And I'm, you know, in my sort of punk rock, sort of bratty way, sort of, that's why the movie's called A Heterosexual Movie by Greg Rocky. But it's a very, <laughs> it's a super kind of subversively queer, like it's the gayest <laughs> the queerest heterosexual movie ever made and so it was the idea of it being this sort of Trojan horse in the sense that it was you know has the appearances of this heterosexual movie and there's you know the beautiful rose and it, there's you know there, and the Amy Blue character that's such a sort of you know Lolita kind of vixen but at the same time there's you know this obviously very intense kind of queer stuff going on as well so that was something that was an inspiration to when I was writing it's interesting. So I, I personally identify as a straight cis male. You know, and, one of those, you're one of those people, old school. Yeah, you're a dying breed, but you're st- just still hanging in there. But that said, right, the cool thing is, I feel like seeing your film at such a like young, I don't know, in- influential kind of age. Uh-huh. Like, I think it has a lot to do with why I've been able to like. I've, I've never felt like weird, or you know, I, I come from a Christian background, so I, you know, a lot of people like me feel really weird around people who aren't like straight people. And I, I feel like it actually shaped a lot of me by being exposed to that early. And obviously also being in the punk rock scene and it always being kind of a, a, a more diverse and accepting scene. Well, it should be. Not every scene is. But um, yeah. I guess in, in a way, I feel like the film really influenced kind of the art I like and my own like personal like beliefs and feelings about like what's around me. You know, I guess to a certain extent, I just want to say, well, thanks. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well, well, 
thank you. I mean, that's, you know, as a filmmaker, you know, as an artist, that's kind of the highest compliment, you know, I mean, that, that anybody can receive, you know, the idea that, that my movies actually had an impact and, you know, that have, they have meaning for people. That's really kind of all I can ask for. You know, I'm not really interested in you know, winning an Oscar or, or, you know, <laughs> making like hundreds of millions of dollars. But, you know, the idea that, that my movies have like touched people and made a difference in people's sensibilities, I think that's, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really tackled with my first piece is just talking about how it, it did. My sensibilities is a perfect word. It really definitely affected my sensibilities a lot. I think to a large extent, indie film and stuff like that, really. But yeah, I know uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I appreciate your time. I just wanted to, uh, you know, basically ask you if there was anything else going on that you wanted to share, you know, any other projects you're working on. Obviously, you're restoring uh, Nowhere Now, too, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, And I'm excited about that. Anything else going on? Uh, I'm always do. I always have a few irons in the fire. So I'm I'm like writing a couple things right now, Um, a movie and a TV thing and you know, I'm always working, always working on something. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about, you know, my life and the sort of career I've had is that, you know, when people say, oh, what are you up to? It's like um, the same thing I was doing like 30 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm just working on the next thing and doing, you know, it's like, I don't have kids and, you know, I I just have this amazing life, um, a life I've always dreamed about, which is being an indie filmmaker and just being an artist and doing my thing. And, and it's just so cool that I'm still, still doing it. So Awesome. Well, I, like I said, I, I can't, I can't say enough how influential you, you've been to a lot of people, but m- for me in, in my taste and in things, and, and I just, uh, I'm excited to, to see what else you have coming out and coming in store. And, and I appreciate your, your time. Cool. Well, stay, stay tuned. Awesome. Hey, Greg, right. you take care. Okay. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you too. So how about that, LB? I am trying to keep my cool, you know, it is, uh, a total fangirl moment for me right now to to have uh, this this interview from Greg Araki, who is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, and I'm just so excited that we got to to host this. Um, and well, and so grateful, to Justin. yeah, grateful to Justin. I was about to say uh, for bringing this interview to us and. Uh, Greg Araki is just so cool and and so casual and uh, I'm so impressed by his his Gen X-ness of of, uh, you know being able to tap into that DIY spirit that that, uh, even his later work is pretty great yeah a white bird in a blizzard had no expectation for that the second I saw the trailer whatever it didn't and then I saw that his name was the director I was like okay <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like ah oh, great great Right. You know? Yeah, he has a flair with everything that he touches. That that movie, uh, White White Bird in a Blizzard, is more, I guess, low key. Yeah. Um, of of his films. I mean, but um, then you got Smiley comparatively. Face. Yeah, Smiley Face is great. Smiley Face um, won our poll for the the Grumpire Alternative Oscars, the the Grumpies for for that year when we did our rewriting the Oscars series. Heck yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was really proud of that. But one thing that was 
wasn't exactly touched on and I think is important about Greg Araki as a filmmaker is yes yes he's very influential as far as uh, bringing music taste to making. people yeah taste yeah, yeah 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 um what I don't think gets touched on enough what we don't talk about enough is his contributions to just the design and aesthetic of a generation you know you think about Gen X design one thing that comes to mind is Ray Gun Magazine yes of course that's my that's my go to for Gen X design <laughs> yeah. is Ray Gun Magazine and uh-huh. uh, Von Oliver for 4 AD records right and that's the the um, I guess high end of design you know that's not counting all the zines and like show flyers and you know like yes. that like grassroots type of aesthetic but I think Iraqi taps into that kind of Ray Gun cool and confusing and slick you know I'm, I'm not sure what you mean about confusing, but I do know about cool and slick, and I think that he's <laughs> a step between the ray gun sort of thing and the ultra mainstream, really lousy design stuff that you see with, uh, <laughs> with all the you know extreme stuff like that. But mm-hmm. he's like a step somewhere in the in between that. He's still in this really nice design palatable area. He's towards what people then saw his work in design or what he commissioned for the posters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they um, exploited that and turned it into gaudy and put it into malls. <laughs> and malls. so he's not that he's like this step between and um, he's still in that good spot Mm -hmm. what I say confusing uh, what I am trying to convey is uh, so you look at Raygun and like their text is super confusing yeah their text is all over the place and you're you have to like figure it out as you go like the allusion to Rocky's film in that is that you know he mentioned it himself in this interview where his idea of the Gen X world is this kind of surreal you know yeah what's so that's why I I say it's confusing because you're not sure what kind of reality it is you know it's it's layered you know it's very interesting and I guess it's a hyper reality but not so obnoxious you know it's not natural born killers oh uh, I think when you get into nowhere (laughs) and now apocalypse it does get a bit obnoxious but like uh, when you say obnoxious it's it means usually negative and natural born killers Mm -hmm. is an acquired taste and i don't know if look natural born killers seems to have been kind of like a ripoff of iraqi style yeah i kind of feel that way too budget Mm -hmm. there's so much money behind it and iraqi plays small budget so it is totally a gen x movie made by a boomer oh yeah okay that 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 is what natural born killers is and i like natural born killers it feels off it doesn't feel exactly genuine and Iraqi's films a, are a great point. 100% genuine yeah so I mean the guy's got the talent the, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that's great I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to uh, present this interview and um, we have a lot more hopefully Gen X essentials coming up um, Justin is going to provide us with another interview from a certain someone pretty soon who is talked about in this interview a whole bunch you can take your guesses on who that might be but yeah we're, we're excited so stay tuned to gen x essentials grumpire.com 